Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is podcast 191. The Lord Jesus has spent a night in a dungeon in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. He has now been brought out, has been tried, and he has now been sent unto Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor the procurator of the Roman province of Judea, and finding out that Jesus was from the Galilee, he sent him to Herod Agrippa, who had his headquarters in Tiberias. He was the son of Herod the Great. And after he was examined and he could do nothing with him, he sent him back to Pilate. Pilate scourged him and then condemned him to die. He would have left the Antonio Fortress where Pilate would have been stationed during the Passover time for fear of uprising of the Jews. After all, the Romans knew that the Jews were only going to take so long their heavy hand of crushing and dominion. Any people will, and then they'll rebel. And so if there was a time to rebel, it would be when people from all over the known world, Jews, would come to Jerusalem. Ancient historians say that Jerusalem would sometimes swell to five to ten times its normal capacity, its normal population. And so there would have been thousands upon tens of thousands of Jews from all over the world that would come to Jerusalem. They would be there for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover and first fruits, and many would stay until Shavuot, which was 50 days later, Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Now, after all was said and done, the Romans were frightened because of the potential of their remembering, the Jews remembering the throwing off of the yoke of slavery in Egypt. And as they remembered that, they would think of the slavery that they were under with the Romans, and they could rebel. And so Pontius Pilate had come up from Caesarea Maritime, where he would have been stationed, the great seaport built by Herod the Great, where the palace was, where many of you have been. And he would have come up to Jerusalem to oversee any kind of rebellion, because if indeed the Jews were to rebel and were to be successful, then whether Pontius Pilate lived through that or not, he would have been decommissioned at best and would have been killed at worst for allowing this to happen. And so he was there at the Antonio Fortress, named after Mark Antony, and he was there to oversee any kind of rebellion. And so Jesus was the one that was used as the scapegoat, and he was condemned to die. So Jesus made his way with uh, soldiers outside of the Damascus Gate, the northernmost gate of the city of Jerusalem during that day, and he would have gone through the streets, and the streets would have been crowded, of course, because of Passover. And as he made his way through the streets, people would have been 
gawking and looking just like they do today at any kind of major site. Now, people would say from time to time, well, this was a common site. Well, a wreck is a common sight on an interstate, but all you have to do is see just a fender bender or maybe even a car off beside the road, and it will affect uh, thousands of vehicles because people are interested and they'll look and they'll stop. And many of you have been in backups on the interstates and roads and wondering there must be a catastrophe, but when you get there, someone is fixing a tire on the side of the road and you wonder what were the people stopping? for Well, because people love to gawk at other people's trouble and sorrow. And that's exactly what was happening only exponentially during the days of Jesus. Because not only was Jesus making his way through the streets, certainly he was the spectacle. But there were two other men as well that were condemned to death. And as they made their way through the streets, the gospel writers record the response of the people. And it's interesting that Luke records this. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women also mourned and lamented him, that is, Jesus. But Jesus turning to them, that is, to the women, And said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Weep not for me, but for the daughters of Jerusalem. This is a passage that is described in the Gospels to explain what was coming. You see, the people were lamenting, and Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, you need to weep for your children, because the day is coming when you're going to see them crushed, taken away, ravaged, raped, all that goes with what Jesus was talking about. What was he talking about? Well, as you know, in the ancient world, a city was not a city unless it had walls. The walls were always built around a city. Now, there are many words in Hebrew to describe a town, a village, a hamlet, But when you talk about a city, there is no such thing in the ancient world as a city that did not have walls. Now, it's interesting, and I've spoken to this matter before, that there are some things that are naturally masculine. God is always framed in the masculine, and other things are always in the masculine. But there are some things that are always in the feminine. The word for earth is always feminine. The word for city is always feminine. We don't talk about that great city and his glory. We talk about that great city and her glory. It's just couched in the feminine. It's inherently feminine. And so the walls of a city cover and will circle and encircle the city, the great queen city. 
and the walls are considered from ancient time the skirts of a city. That is why still to this day, outside the city, the boroughs outside the city, the villages outside the city, that is the unwalled city, the small little towns, the clusters, the suburbs, those are called the outskirts. That is, they are without and outside of the city walls. So they are outside the skirts of the city. And that's still in our language today. Well, it certainly was in the ancient world. Those who were outside of the protection, out from under the skirts of the mother city, of the queen city, they were considered the daughters of the mother. And so when Jesus and other New Testament writers speak of the daughters of a city, they are talking about not the teenage girls or young women, that is a reference to the villages and hamlets outside, the little towns, the suburbs outside of the mother city. Now, why would Jesus turn and say, weep for your daughters? Weep for those who are young and vulnerable. Because the Romans were coming within just 40 years, the city of Jerusalem would be turned upside down. It would be rifled and destroyed. Its city walls would be breached and broken down. And the Romans, Jesus knew, would come, and those that lived outside the city would be the ones that would be most vulnerable, and they would be the ones that would be destroyed first. That is, those who could not afford to live inside the city, the poor, those who scraped by on a living off the land. You see, when the enemy comes in and when the destroyer comes, he always approaches the most vulnerable first. This is why in even our modern time, isn't it amazing that many of the policies of governments, certainly our own in the United States, those who uh, would be of a socialist mindset, they're always passing policies, it seems, that are good for the poor, but in the end, they're the ones that penalize and hurt the poor, the most vulnerable. You see, when People say, well, we're going to be good to the poor. Usually that is a cover-up for they're going to give more wealth to those who have power, to those who are rich. This is why it is absolutely ridiculous. Virtue signaling for people in our government to say, we don't want walls around our country. We want to let everybody in and be fair to everybody yet. They wall up around their own homes and their own houses. Why? Because walls work. They keep out those that you don't want, that don't need to come in, that are going to do harm to you and your loved ones. So you put up a wall. Almost any rich person who has a fine home, they put up a wall around it. Have you ever noticed that? Well, if walls don't work, why don't they just tear those walls down? Have you noticed that? around our government buildings and our capital buildings in Washington now, they have walls up. They have fences that cannot be penetrated. Why would they do that? To keep out those that would harm, of course. And so what I'm saying is when you say one thing with your mouth, but you do something else, you betray your heart. The same thing is true in every walk of life. But governments are very good, and especially those who have a lot and can pay for protection, and those who can pay and weather a storm, they don't think about those who are vulnerable because, you see, they've never been vulnerable. 
Have you ever been vulnerable? Have you ever been one of those outside the city walls? Have you ever been the one that really bears the brunt of the cold winter nights and those who have tried to scratch your way out and scratch out a living to try to just do anything to get out of poverty? And those that are in power continue to empower the rich while the poor, no matter what the virtue signaling, always get poorer and poorer. You see, as I have told you before, there are two kinds of poor. There are those who are poor by choice. That is, they wouldn't work in a pie factory eating pies. You give them work, they wouldn't work because they're lazy. Those are the kinds of people, no matter what you do for, it's never enough. But there are those others who are poor by circumstance. If they could find a way out, they would get out. They're hard workers, but they just cannot get ahead because of the decisions of those who are in power that continue to penalize them and their hard work and effort. What I'm saying is the most vulnerable are always the ones that are hurt the worst. And so when Jesus said, weep not for me, weep for your daughters, weep for those who are on the outside of the walls, because they are the ones that are going to be crushed first when the rebellion comes. And surely the rebellion will come because people will only be taxed so long. Our long storied history of the United States says that there will only be so long that tyranny will reign and then the people will rise up. The story of Russia and communism and its 80-year reign or so, you saw only so long can you hold a people down and then they'll rise up. Jesus said those who are poor, those who are the vulnerable, they're the ones that always get hurt first and they're the ones that get hurt the most. Judgment is certainly coming upon America. God will not wink at what we're doing. He is not like us. All that is going on, he sees. And the wrath of God is already on its way, and the only shield that will keep it away for a while will be the repentance of God's people. Yes, God's people. I don't look to secular America to bring revival. I don't look to the government to bring revival. I don't look for policies passed to bring revival. No, if revival comes to America and comes to the cities and the hamlets and the towns of America— it will be all of us who name the name of Jesus, those who believe in Judeo-Christian values, to turn from our wickedness and our own sin and cry out to God for mercy and for him once again to rend the heavens, to make the mountain smoke, to come down and to purge our country and send revival. Only God can do that. And so that's why he turned to the women and said, Weep not for me, but for your own daughters. Weep for the daughters of Jerusalem, because judgment is surely coming. Revival is needed in America, and the only thing that will bring revival to America is those of us who are call the name of Jesus to call upon him and ask for renewal in our own soul, in our own spirit, in our own body and ask God to send revival to our nation. Now, this might seem to be a dour podcast. I don't want it to be that. It's not meant to depress. It's not meant to uh, tear down. It's meant to build up. Am I hopeful? Yes, I'm hopeful. More hopeful than I've been in decades. 
because I believe God is stirring in America. He's moving in America. I believe the myrtle trees are beginning to feel the wind of God's spirit and begin to shake. I believe revival is on the way. And if we, as God's people, will turn to him, God in the midst of great darkness will send light, just as he always has. Is there hope for America? Yes. And the hope for America is the Lord Jesus and the people of God that will turn from our wicked ways and will call upon the name of the Lord. If we do that, yes, we will be saved and... America will be saved. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at tonycrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.